It was the big interview. About 14 years ago, I was interviewing for my first full-time ministry position. And during the course of that interview, they found out that I really enjoyed basketball. I like to play basketball and everything. And so they asked me that, hey, there's this men's group. We get together at 5 o'clock in the morning on Friday mornings and we like to play basketball. Would you be a part of that? And I know that the whole staff team's involved in that. And I'm saying, yeah, absolutely. I'll be there. I'd be a part of that. So then the in-person interview came to go through all that. And early that Friday morning, a guy stopped by, picked me up, and I went and I played basketball there. The interviews all went well. I got the job, moved my family out to Washington State. And I never played basketball at 5 a.m. Again, as it turns out, I didn't really enjoy playing basketball that early in the morning. I couldn't play my best basketball that early in the morning, and I never played again. You know, we've all had experiences like that, haven't we? Where there's this thing, it happens, and in the moment we say, yes, absolutely, I'd be a part of that, I'd do that. But we never really stop to count the cost. You know, it happens with me all the time with, with exercise and getting in really great shape. You know, I decide, okay, I'm going to get ripped. Everything's going to go well. I start eating spinach and kale and protein powder. And then eventually it fades off. It goes away. I, I'm not willing to pay the cost. You know, it happens in job interviews. The boss will ask, hey, will you do anything in order to make this company a success? And in our excitement, we say, yes, absolutely, whatever it takes. Well, I want to do whatever to make this company a success, having no idea what that whatever could entail. You know, a man and a woman, they'll be standing up here and they'll be exchanging their vows, how for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. They have no idea the difficulties that will lie ahead. They have no idea what that cost will entail. You know, it brings us to another question, and that is, have you ever thought about what it costs to be a disciple? Have you ever thought, you know, I'm going to pay whatever it takes to become a better disciple of Jesus. I want to become a better disciple maker. You know, that's part and parcel of our mission here is to share Jesus and impact people really to make disciples. But have you ever thought about the cost of that? You know, I'm sure that's a question that the disciples must have been wondering as we enter into our new series this morning. It's a series titled Stories of Hope. We're going to go through several different parables that Jesus told. And we're looking at a couple stories this morning where Jesus, he's talking to the disciples about the kingdom, about the kingdom of God and what it is and what the cost is of that. And at this time, you know, the disciples, they, they were following Jesus. They had given up so much and they were excited. But now that excitement is starting to wane because Jesus' popularity is starting to wane. Things aren't going the way the disciples had envisioned. We'll be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46 this morning. But just in front of that, in Matthew chapter 12, well, Jesus, he's doing all these miracles, all this great stuff's happening. And the Pharisees step up and they say, you know what? Everything that Jesus has done, everything that he continues to do, has been empowered by Satan. And then at that moment, Jesus responds and he says, you know, the kingdom of God has now been revoked to you because that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples are left to wonder, well, what's going on with the kingdom? If it's been revoked now and the kingdom is not going to be restored to Israel the way that we thought Jesus was going to in this political and militaristic kingdom that we thought Jesus was bringing, he's not bringing, 
well, then what's going on with the kingdom? Because now the kingdom seems to be this undercover kingdom. And do we want to give our lives to this? We've given up so much. Is it really worth being his disciple? Because at the same time, rumors are circulating that the power structure that be, they want Jesus dead. And so is it worth being a disciple? Is it worth this cost? Is at this enormous cost of leaving behind everything to follow him. And so this is the question that's being raised that Jesus is going to really tackle in Matthew chapter 13. And he does that through some stories. And the disciples, they actually go to Jesus and say, Jesus, why are you speaking to us in parables? I mean, just tell it to us like it is. Just give it to us straight. And Jesus says, now I have to speak to you in parables because this truth that I am explaining to you, well, it is for you to know, but at the same time, it's not for them to know. And so he is revealing and concealing truth as he shares these stories. And in Matthew 13, he shares eight stories. The first four are by the lake for everyone to hear. And then he comes into the home and he shares some more stories with just with the disciples. And that's where we'll pick up the first two of that second set, the first two stories that were told in the home. Let's go ahead and check it out. Read them together. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. It reads, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, it's interesting with these two parables, Jesus doesn't give us any explanation. You know, sometimes he'll tell a story and then he'll tell you what it means. With these, he doesn't. He just leaves the story out there and then it's left to us really now to try to interpret and to understand Well, what did these stories actually mean anyway? And one of the techniques to do that is just to kind of put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. How would the original hearers have heard these stories? And at this time, it's important to note that there were no formal banks. Uh, So it was not uncommon for people in those days to when they have some value and they have something of great worth just to go and to bury it in the field. That way, if any kind of invading army comes in or anything like that, that their money is safe, that their valuables are are safe. You're not going to find them in the house. They're just out on the land somewhere. So, uh, and there were laws that if you happen to stumble upon the treasure and you remove the treasure from the field, then it was your obligation then to give that treasure back to the owner of the field. However, if you were to purchase the field, then the treasure on it would become yours. And so it was the dream of many poor peasants back in those days that they would discover some treasure in a field that they'd be able to then acquire that field and that treasure. And so Jesus here, he's playing off some of the cultural norms of the day. And as the disciples hear this, At the same time, I imagine that they would have thought back to everything that had gone on in their lives as they had followed Jesus. You remember by the lake how James and John, how Peter and Andrew, how they left everything to follow Jesus? How they left their nets, how they left their families, how they left it all to go and follow Jesus. Jesus says, come follow me. And so they drop everything and they go follow him. 
You remember Matthew at the tax collector's booth? I mean, Jesus says, hey, follow me. And what does Matthew do? I mean, he just leaves it all. He doesn't take the time to get his desk back in order or anything like that. He just leaves it all and he goes and he follows him. And this is what happens with all the disciples. They leave everything they have. They leave their jobs. They leave their businesses. They, they leave their families. They give up everything to follow Jesus. And so now Jesus is saying, whatever it costs, it's worth it. Whatever it costs, it's worth it. And this sounds crazy to us. I mean, just on the outset, just kind of taking a step back and looking at these parables, right? You got two guys. In the, in the first story, there's this one guy, and he's, he's, out, he's not looking for treasure. He just happens to bump into it. He just happens to find this treasure in the field. And when he finds it, he sells everything that he has. I mean, he has no home at this point. He has nothing. He, he gives up all his money, everything he has, in order that he can have this deed to the property so that he can have that treasure that's buried there. And then the second one, the, the pearl merchant, he goes and he finds this great pearl. And he says, this pearl is so valuable that I'm going to sell everything that I have. I'll give up my home. I'll give up my money. I'll give up all that I have just so that I can have this pearl. And we look at this on the outside. And this story, it almost sounds ridiculous, right? You, you'd give up everything for a pearl. You'd give everything just for a, a piece of property with some treasure on it. I mean, if you saw these two guys being the nice person that you are, you'd, you'd almost feel bad for them, right? And they, they show up maybe to a church service and you'd kind of offer them like $10 here. I know you don't have anything. You gave it all away. Why don't you go buy yourself some lunch or anything? And you know what they would do? They would see you offering this money for them to buy lunch, and they would laugh. They would laugh because it's, no, what I have is so valuable. I have everything I need. I have the pearl. I had the deed to the property. This is the point of the parables. Whatever the cost, whatever the cost, it's worth it. It's worth it. Whatever the kingdom of God costs, it's worth it. You know, the disciples, they would find out just what they were in possession of. They might not have understood right when Jesus was talking to them here in Matthew 13 as he was sharing these stories. Their confidence might have begun to wane just a little bit, but the day would come when they would find out just what they were in possession of. Oh, they already knew the cost. I mean, Peter even reminded Jesus, Lord, did we not leave everything to follow you? No, no they knew what they had paid. But the day would come when they would realize just what they were in possession of. Because you understand that James was beheaded. Philip was crucified in Turkey. Matthew was killed with a spear in Syria. Andrew was crucified. Peter, feeling inadequate to be crucified in the same manner of Jesus, requested that Rome crucify him upside down. Bartholomew and Thomas, they were both killed in India. Simon the Zealot, he was crucified in Britain. Only John wasn't killed for the faith. No, Domitian actually actually exiled him off to the small island of Patmos just to be forgotten about. I mean, th this is what the disciples give up, whatever the cost. Why? Because they realize it's worth it. I'll give anything for that pearl. I'll give anything for that deed. I'll give anything for the kingdom. The disciples, they wouldn't be the only ones to reach that conclusion. Paul, he would later say that, I count everything as garbage except for knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And you know where he says that? 
He says that from a Philippian jail cell. And maybe you look at a guy like Paul and you think, well, maybe he didn't really have to give up that much. We know he ended up in jail, but maybe he didn't give up that much. You understand what Paul gave up? I mean, the fact of the matter, Paul, Paul he, he was an up-and-coming, rising star. He was eloquent. He had the best education of the day. He, he, he had leadership here. People were following him. Everybody cared about what Paul thought, what Paul did. I mean, he was a respected guy. Oh, he cashes all that in when he meets Jesus on that old Damascus road, and he pays it all to follow him. You get, you get a little picture of that in Acts chapter 26. At that time, Paul has been arrested and he's appeared before several uh, Roman governors. And now he's set to appear before King Agrippa. And basically at this point, you get the idea that all Paul has to say is, hey, I've been wrongly accused here. I'm sorry for any trouble that I've caused Rome. And that Rome at that point would simply let him go. He just needs to kind of keep things quiet, not really reference Jesus in any way. And he's going to be and he's going to be free to go. Paul, though, he doesn't do that. Why? Because he's standing before the king, and so he has this opportunity with the king. And he takes full advantage. He launches into his testimony, and he shares about how, how, what his life was like before Christ and how he came to Christ, and then the miraculous work that Jesus was doing in his life right then. And he asks King Agrippa, he's like expecting King Agrippa to respond. You know, he gives this incredible testimony testimonies, he just knows, okay, this has got to get to King Agrippa's heart. And the governor's there. They, they, they even put a stop to Paul. Okay, this is enough. And then the king says, Paul, did you really expect me to become a Christian after your little presentation here? And then do you remember what Paul said? Oh, king, I only wish that you were just like me, except for the chains. King, I only wish that you were just like me, except for the handcuffs. Why, do you, do you understand what Paul is telling the king? He's saying, oh, king, I only wish that you knew Jesus the way I knew Jesus. I only wish that this relationship that I have with Jesus, that you shared that too. Because if you had that king, oh, you'd happily remove your crown because you understand that there are thrones and there's a kingdom bigger than you, king. Oh, I only wish that you were just like me, except for the chains. See, the kingdom of heaven is worth whatever the cost. It's worth whatever crown you're wearing, whatever leadership you have, whatever charisma or anything like that, whatever education. Paul says, I'll, ca I'll cash it all in. It's all garbage except for knowing Jesus. The disciples, they leave it all to follow Jesus. And now Jesus, he's telling them this parable and he's just reiterating to them, whatever the cost, Whatever the cost, no matter how, how ridiculous, how audacious it sounds, it's worth it. Whatever the cost, the kingdom of God is worth it. But that brings us to another question. And that is, well, just what is the kingdom of God? I mean, what, what is the kingdom of God anyway? And, you know, that is the subject of Jesus' first sermon. Uh, much of what Jesus was preaching is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. We pray all the time, right? For uh, whenever we recite the Lord's prayer that God's kingdom come will be here on earth as it is in heaven. And so in Matthew 13, what, what is this kingdom of God really all about anyway? And 
I mean, really, you could spend a whole lot of time studying the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and what all that means. But in Matthew 13, it's still an undercover kingdom. You have the kingdom of the world, and then there's this kingdom of God, and God, and Jesus has already said, hey, I'm revoking the kingdom to you, Israel. I'm not going to do it the way you thought I was, disciples. And so they're left in this state of confusion. Well, then what is the kingdom of God now? Well, to kind of help you understand that, you need to understand this. The kingdom of God is alignment. The kingdom of God is alignment with God. See, in this mysterious age of the kingdom, this, the kingdom of God is when people are rightly aligned with the will of God. When there is no distinction between what God wants and what is. And you see this in creation, right? God spoke and it was. Exactly what he said appeared just the way he wanted. That there was no distinction. There's no wiggle room here. What God wanted and what happened was completely aligned. And for you and me right now, for those of us who have been justified with Christ, well then we are set up to the standard of Christ. And wherever there is not alignment, wherever we do not measure up, wherever we are out of whack, God is banging us into place so that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus. So there would be no distinction between the life of Christ and how it is fleshed out in us, that we would be perfectly aligned with Christ in how we live. So, when we experience that alignment, when we are aligned with him, we experience God's perfect rule and authority over those areas of our lives, those aspects of our lives, hopefully all of our lives. We are in possession of the kingdom of God in our lives because it is being experienced on earth the way it is in heaven, his perfect rule and authority in us. So that happens when Jesus is king and ruler in our lives. And in this mysterious undercover age of the kingdom, when the kingdom is already and not yet, then the question becomes, will you trust God? Even when it's hard, will you pay any cost? Even when it's hard, will you do whatever it takes for the kingdom? Because understand, we live now where this kingdom is set against the kingdom of this world. And so when the kingdom of heaven is persecuted, is marginalized on earth, are you still willing to pay any cost? Because if you, have, if you call him king and you are not aligned with his kingdom, is that really any way to live? I mean, is that really the best life possible? See, the disciples... They've left everything to follow him. They have, but now, but now they're wrestling with this question because they thought they were inheriting a kingdom that was political and militaristic and the kingdom was going to be restored to Israel right then. And so the question comes with this new mysterious age of the kingdom. Are we still in for this? Are we, do we still want to leave our families? Do we still want to leave our businesses? Is this Jesus still worth following? Will we still pay whatever the cost for this kingdom? You know, we look forward to the day we do when life will be just as it is in heaven, where there will be no more tears, no more hurt, no more pain, that we will experience all the blessings all the time. We look forward to that day and that's good. But when we come into alignment with the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God is a, is a persecuted, marginalized, undercover kingdom today, because that's the question. That was the question for the disciples then, and it's the question for us today. Will you be willing to pay that cost? 
You know, Jesus, he tells these parables and he says, whatever the kingdom may cost you, it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Whatever it costs you, it's worth it. So we know the value of the kingdom. Whatever it costs, it's worth it. We know what the kingdom is. The kingdom is alignment with God. We understand that. But then there's this other question. Do we really want it? I mean, really, do you really want it? Are you really willing to pay that cost? I mean, these guys in the parables, uh, they find the treasure, right? The one guy, he finds the treasure and the other finds the pearl. And once they find these things, they sell all that they had. They will stop at nothing to acquire it. Why? Because they realize the value of it all. You know, the scriptures say, seek the Lord while he may be found. Are you willing to pay whatever the cost? That question, it's, it's kind of like the question, do you want Jesus to come back? And we all say, yes, absolutely, we want Jesus to come back. Well, do you want Jesus to come back today? And then sometimes we might shy away from that one a little bit. Well, today, I mean, I don't know. There are these experiences I, that I'd like to have in life. I'd, I'd like to see this happen. I'd like for that to happen. So, I mean, I, I want him to come back. But, uh, you know, maybe if he could just come back on my timetable, that'd be nice. You know, see, sometimes we want the kingdom of God, but we want it like that we can just pick it up in a fast food line, something. We want something quick, something easy, something where the cost isn't all that much. Are we willing to pay anything for this kingdom? Do we really want it that bad? I mean, you go through and you look at Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah, he hears of all the peril and the destruction and everything that's going on in Jerusalem. And, and he's out there and he's praying. And for four months, Nehemiah prays before he goes to the king. I mean, he's the cupbearer to the king. He has access to the king all the time, but he does not approach the king for four months because he spends four months praying. We look at the life and ministry of Jesus. Now he, for 40 days, he just goes off in the wilderness and he just prays and fasts for 40 days. Have you ever prayed? I mean, just really prayed intently, seriously about something for four months, for 40 days. See, oftentimes we don't. We might pray intently for four days and then just say, well, you know what? It doesn't seem like this was the will of God, so we got we to gotta move on. Time to move on. The early church in the book of Acts, they get together and they meet every single day. And they're, and they're praying together and they're taking communion together and they're studying the scripture together. They are so devoted to this. You know, what if we started something? We said, okay, every single day we're just gathering together and we're going to pray. We're going to take communion and we're going to study our Bibles. You know, we're going to look at our schedules, right? We're going to say, well, you know, I mean, Sunday afternoons are tough because we got this. Monday afternoons, we got that. Tuesdays, there's this. Wednesdays, there's that. You know, Thursdays might work. Thursday, maybe we got this time slot, 545 to 615. Maybe that would work. You know, sometimes we're like that, aren't we? We, we, we look to see where we can squeeze it in. We got these jam-packed schedules. Well, I got a little time here for the kingdom. The early church would say, everything we've got, we're going to meet every day. Nehemiah, four months, Jesus, 40 days. I mean, you get the idea. These people are intent because they understand the value of it all. Sometimes we say we want the kingdom, but we want the kingdom of God and this. We want the kingdom of God and that. God is saying, I am offering you the kingdom, but in my kingdom, there will be no rival. There can be no rival. There is no rival of family. There is no rival of job. There is no rival of entertainment. There is no rival of success. In my kingdom, there is no rivals. You've got to be willing to pay everything for my kingdom. Nothing can rival me. Will you make that sacrifice? Will you pay that cost? The kingdom of God can have no rivals. 
And so we think, well, is that kingdom, is it really worth it? Uh, Would we give up everything for this kingdom? And a lot of times in our minds, we think, well, if I go all in on the Jesus train, I mean, if I just, okay, I'm, I'm sold out here. Well, that's, that's going to require a lot. I'm going to have to do these Bible studies. I'm going to be sharing people all the time. Jesus is going to take all my fun away. You know, that's kind of what we wonder. Like, if I go all in on this, Jesus, are you just going to take my fun away? And so we say, you know, I believe in Jesus. I do, but I still want to hold on to this because this is still really important to me also. You know what you're really holding on to? Grudges, bitterness, pain, lust, pride, idolatry, your own logic, your own way of doing things, your own feelings, your own selfishness. And we say, oh, if I let that go, I mean, it's going to be bad. And so we say, you know, if you really understood what that person did to me, you know, in this situation, you know, you just got to lie and there's no other way around it. And Jesus comes and he says, now in my kingdom, in my, in order to be aligned with me, you got to let all that go. All that goes because you got to do things my way. It's going to cost you that. You don't get to hold on to these things anymore. We sometimes think that God is coming to take our fun away. You know what? It's the exact opposite, really. He hasn't come to take our fun away. He's come to take our pain. He's come to take our hurt. He's come to take our selfishness. He's come to take our pride. He's come to take our sin. That's what he's come to take away. And in its place, he's come to give joy and peace and happiness and hope. He's come to give us life and life to the fullest. This is what Jesus has come to give. You know, you look at these two guys and the one guy, he's sold everything so that he can buy the deed to the property. The other guy, he's gone out and he's find this, this found this pearl of great price. Would those guys ever then turn around and sell that deed or sell that pearl to get what they had before, to get all their old stuff back? No way. Why? Because they realize the value of what they're in possession of. For those of you who are walking with Christ and aligned with him, would you ever trade uh, those of you, if you have traded your worry for a peace that passes understanding, if you've traded your bitterness for a forgiveness that can come only from God, if you've traded your life for the life of Christ, would you ever go back? I mean, would you ever cash it in? Of course not, because you understand the value of the kingdom, the value of being properly aligned with God. You know, as we look at these two parables this morning, we see that they're very similar. But there is one key difference. In the parable of the treasure, the the guy who buys the treasure, he's not really out looking for treasure. He just kind of stumbles upon it. And when he stumbles upon it, he realizes, whoa, I'm selling everything I have to have this deed to the property. It's worth it all. The, The next one, the parable that's often called the parable of the pearl of great price, You know, that's not what the scripture says, though. It says this is the story of a pearl merchant, the parable of the pearl merchant. But the pearl merchant, he's actually out in search of a pearl. He's actually looking for it. Some uh, people have interpreted this parable because the Bible tells us that uh, no one seeks after God. No one on their own just kind of looks for God. No No one does that on their own. And so some have interpreted the pearl merchant as being Jesus Christ. 
as being Jesus who, who understands the value of the kingdom of God and being properly aligned with the Father. And so in order to be properly aligned with him, to grab hold of this pearl, he steps out of the comforts of heaven. He comes down to earth. He lives the life of just a man. He takes on flesh and bone, becomes fully man. He eats, he sleeps, he has all the limitations of man. And more than that, he dies. He dies for the sin of man. He rises again, but he does all of this to be aligned with the Father because he understands the value of alignment, the value of the kingdom. So he would give his own life in joy to do the will of the Father. So the question then comes to us, are we really willing to pay any price? Are we willing to pray, pay whatever price it takes to take hold of the kingdom, to be in, properly, in proper alignment with him? You know, when Steph was first pregnant with Emma, we had people and they'd come and they'd tell us, oh, it's so exciting, you're, you're pregnant with your first child, it's going to be great, you know. But a child really does change everything. Your life will never be your own again. And then when Steph was pregnant with Bree, we had people tell us, oh, it's so exciting, having number two, child number two, and it's going to be great. But you know, there's a big jump going from one to two. It's like twice as much, twice as much energy, twice as much everything. And it takes a lot. There's a big jump there. And then when, when uh, Steph gave birth to Pierce, we had people tell us, oh man, it's so exciting. You got a boy now, little guy, that's great. But you know, boys are quite a bit different than girls. You know, boys get into stuff. They're a little more rambunctious. They got more energy. You really got to keep your eye on those boys. And so all those people, they give us all this great advice, all this encouragement. And it was all, it was all true. It was all, it was all right. It really did kind of work out that way. And you know, back when we were in the baby years and there was everything that had to be done to care for a baby and Steph was exhausted just doing everything. You know, if, if I were just to go to her one weekend and say, hey, babe, I, I know you haven't been getting much sleep uh, lately and I've been working a lot, but hey, this weekend, there's a guy's weekend. We're all going, we're going to hang out, going to play some games, do different stuff. And so anyway, I'm just going to take off and go. I mean, I might could get away with that once, but you're not getting away with that more than once, right? No, you just can't. She needed me. She needed me to be there at that time to help her. I needed to be present. I couldn't just go off and have fun if I, if I wanted to. But looking back on all that, looking back on all those times, for the life of me, I can't really remember what I gave up. I can't really remember like sacrificing this or that to make sure that Emma, Bree, or Pierce was taken care of. No, for the life of me, I just look back and I see what I've gained. I see this precious life in my family and I can't imagine life without any one of them. Now, if what you give up is of far less value than what you acquire, is it really a sacrifice at all? Is it really a cost at all? God is offering you the kingdom. He's offering you proper alignment with himself. It's a kingdom of infinite value. And when you compare being properly aligned with God, the God of the universe, to whatever else you might have on earth, is it really much of a sacrifice at all? Would you be willing to pay anything for that?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder that God sometimes in a in a world that stings, in a world that hurts, in a in a world that is still governed by the kingdom of this world. God, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for a proper alignment with you and that we can experience that through your son, Jesus Christ. God, when we live life your way, may there be no distinction between the way that we live and the way that you would have us live. May we be willing to pay whatever the cost. In order to do that, we need your help. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.